0: Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd. And each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look... I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember... Excuses are over, it's time to live.
1: For all of us kids, just had this mentality that, hey, just keep an open mind, figure out what you want to do and go for it. And they never ever pressured us in any direction, which was really uh, unique and and something I try to do for my kids. That was where they came from, like the seals come from the water and and there's a saying in the teams, it's like, if, you, if you're if you ever in trouble, head for the water because the enemy will never be stupid enough or brave enough to follow you there, right? Because the water is hostile. I'm of the belief that we have to continually seek out our new edges and push ourselves. And that often means shifting contexts altogether, maybe jumping off one peak into the valley so that you can start climbing the next. next, next, next. What's up,
0: everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard Play Hard Show. Today on the show is Rich Deviney. Rich Deviney is a Navy SEAL. He's a freaking Navy SEAL. We talked about his 20 plus years as a Navy SEAL officer. He's completed 13 overseas deployments. 11 of them were in Iraq and Afghanistan. You can only imagine his career. He's working with Simon Sinek right now, who's one of my favorites. This interview was fantastic because what I thought it was going to be was this, hoorah, I don't know if I'm doing that right, you know, hoorah, Navy SEAL guy. I probably said it wrong, that's probably a different brand, of branch of the military, but you get the idea. It wasn't, it was a calm, centered, introspective, thoughtful guy that is taking his experiences that he's learned as a Navy SEAL and applying them to life and to business. You will love this interview. So let's jump right into it with Rich Divini. Rich Divini, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what, man? I am super excited that you are here. And I think I see a whoop on your hand. Do I see a whoop? Yes. Um, We're fellow whoopers. Fellow whoopers, yeah. (laughs) So the difference between me and you is that you actually use the whoop to do things (laughs) like, I don't know, be a Navy SEAL. And I just... I'm a podcaster that like wakes up in the morning and sees how many hours of deep sleep I got last night. We're gonna I, get- I
1: wasn't using the whoop when I was an Navy seal. So oh, you um, weren't. I, no. And, I've been, and it's been four years actually since I was an Navy seal. So I'm, I'm now trying to better take care of myself holistically because uh, you, you take it for granted when you're in that profession. So, um, so yeah, I'm just paying better attention.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet. All right. So we're going to get into all of that. I think a good place for us to start off would be um, for you growing up in uh, in Connecticut in, uh, in the 70s. Uh, your dad was a pilot mm-hmm. and you and your twin brother both wanted to be military jet pilots. What was it that you saw in your dad that inspired you to want to consider the same path?
1: Yeah, it was it's interesting because my dad is a lawyer he still is you know he was a private pilot it was something he did for fun but one of the true gifts that both of my parents gave gave all of us kids was a almost a a no pressure environment to do what he wanted to 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 kind of explore what we wanted there was never any kind of pushing us to go any direction. It was like, Hey, just, just figure out what you want to do and try it. And, um, and, you know, my dad loved flying and he, he saw that my brother and I loved it. And so when we, when we told him, well, we want to be military pilots, he was, yeah, he was of course thrilled. Um, and it's interesting. My, my, my twin brother became, I mean, he, he flew the Harrier uh, for 20 years, which is the, which is the jump jet, the jet the, 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 that goes, uh, takes off vertically up and down. That's the, the AVP Harrier. He flew that. And then, um, and now is flying, um, for, uh, for FedEx. And my dad just loves hearing those flying stories. He just, he just, he, he he's enamored by that, that profession. So it was kind of cool. So yeah, my dad, my, both my parents for all of us kids just had this mentality that, Hey, just keep an open mind, figure out what you want to do and go for it. And they never, ever pressured us in any direction, which is really, uh, unique and, and, and something I try to do for my kids.
0: So did you refer to that as junk, J-U-N-K or jump as in jumping?
1: Jump. It's, it's nicknamed the jump as in jumping. Because it, because it, it, it jumps. Because it, well, it takes off vertically. Yeah. It, it has, the, it has nozzles. So if you, have you seen the movie True Lies? I did. Yeah. So that, at the end of that movie, when those, the, the planes land vertically, the, the jets that, yeah, that, those are Harriers. Yeah. So, so they're awesome.
0: Can I tell you, I thought that that was some BS on the internet. I never knew because you see these, you know, you see these planes and they're like doing all kinds of crazy things and you never know what's real and what's not real. Yeah. I did not know that these were actually planes that did that. Well, oh, that, yeah, yeah. That's some crazy stuff. Yeah. So, so look, you know, we all have these moments in our life that define our destiny. And, and one of your moments was when you read an article about the Navy SEALs, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about what was going through your head when you read that article about I would read the article and stop midway through <laughs> and say this is fucking crazy like I have no desire to do any of that but you yeah. not only did it you made sort of a life out of it so yeah like what why
1: yeah um well it was an article about all the special Special operations forces in the first Gulf War so the 90s and it outlined all of them and I could remember, it was cool to kind of think about this, these, these units that were kind of James, James Bondish, I guess. Uh, but the thing about the SEALs was all, they had pictures of guys in every different environment, like desert, jungle, winter warfare, you know, jumping out of planes, underwater. And, and out of all the pictures, there were 28 plus pictures, like 18 or so were all SEALs just in different environments. And I, you know, having, I was already kind of bias towards the Navy anyway because I wanted to be a Navy pilot I was like man these Navy seals do everything and in addition to that I loved water I love the water I love being on the water in the water underwater I just love it and I loved it as a kid and the fact that that was there that was where they came from like the seals come from the water and and there's a saying in the teams it's like if you if you're ever in trouble, head for the water because the enemy will never be stupid enough or brave enough to follow you there, right? Because the water is hostile. <laughs> you know, you can't breathe. It's cold. It's you know, pressure. So the fact that they made this hostile environment their refuge was uh, just really audacious and cool for me. And, um, and ultimately, as I went through my processes, I went to Purdue and was ROTC. And, and you know, at the beginning, you know, in the few years, uh, freshman, sophomore year, I was kind of debating, okay, pilot or SEAL. But ultimately I kind of said to myself, I, I knew I knew I could be a pilot, but I didn't I wanted to see if I could be a SEAL and I really wanted to test myself. And so that's why I chose that. And fortunately it worked out. I got selected and then fortunately I made it through training. And that was how long ago? That was back in ninety six that I went okay. through SEAL training. Yeah. Okay. Were you raised around, well, you were raised in Connecticut,
0: but were you raised around water? Like, for example, I live in Hermosa Beach and I'm, uh, you know, like I'm learning to surf and stuff like that. I just took it up now. But, uh, you know, were you, did you spend a lot of time in the water for you? Was that, was that your main, main driver?
1: Well, yeah, we went to the beach all that, yeah, we lived right on the coast. We went to the beach every day of the summer. Now I didn't scuba dive until I was in college and that was really awesome. As soon as I got underwater, that was, I was like, man, this, this is even better. So yeah, I, I, I had, a I had built up this love and tolerance for the water, which is interesting because when you look at people who, who gravitate towards that profession, you know, certainly there are anomalies, but a lot of them has ha- have had some exposure uh, to the water and, um, and you kind of have to, although, yes, there are anomalies of guys who, who have no exposure and they show up and like, okay, and then they just jump into it. But that, I mean, you could, that same could be said for skydiving, right? I mean, I I had never skydived before or shot a gun before I I joined the SEAL team. So those were all very new experiences for me. All
0: right, let's talk about the the training. This is the thing that everybody wants to know about. You know, there's, there's so much information out there. You know, you can buy... I don't know, fitness programs that model Navy SEAL training. And, you know, when people are talking about the best of the best of the best, it's always around the Navy SEALs, um, etc. So you have described that training as pure. What do you mean by pure? Why is that word come to mind for you?
1: Well, it's because when you get to seal training there's a lot that first of all there's a lot that it takes to get to seal training right. and so you, so you have to you have to there's a lot of hard work and things you have to do just to get there in the first place but once you get there it's almost like all that everything you've done before is is erased it doesn't matter right so you can be the the valedictorian of your class you could be the 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 division 1 athlete or the olympian you could be the kid from the farm it doesn't you could it doesn't matter what color i mean what color or, or race or creed you are All the, the, the training is so incredibly difficult. It's all about taking every candidate down to basically below zero and saying, okay, what do you got? You know, what can you, can you do what we're asking you to do? And, and there's a purity in that system because, because now the, the kid from the farm who's never done a sport in his life is now equal to the division one athlete. They're, they're, they're the same because they're at, they're, they're, they're basically below zero. And so it's taking you down to your very elemental you because the, the guys who show up who are great runners, well, they're gonna run you so hard that you can't run anymore, they're gonna get you in the cold water, which has nothing to do with running, or they're gonna make you swim, you know. The guys who are great swimmers, well, they might not be great runners, or they're gonna make you run in the sand, you know, or they're making a PT with a lot of, They're just there's everything about the training is designed to uh, take away all of your advantages, <laughs> right? Yeah. And 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 even you out. And I think so 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 it was. I remember getting there and I remember even though it was tough, I remember there being a sense of relief and even guys who, who, who are going to, you know, who, who are getting ready to start SEAL training or starting SEAL training. And, and if they reach out to me, I say, listen, here's the good news. It's like nothing else matters. Everything that you've done, every, all the work you've done to get there, everything's erased now. It's all on you. It's not about recommendations. It's not about grades. It's not about the, 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 the PT test you took and the scores you had. Everything is about you and whether or not you have it in you. And, and there's, a, there's a beauty, I think, and a purity to that, that I really enjoyed and enjoyed throughout my whole career. Because, you know, whatever training we were doing, was kind of like that. And, and the profession is largely like that. So when you describe it,
0: you know, I have this vision I'm making in my head of, you know, somebody in a pool somewhere that is, as an example, treading water. And they're, they're treading water past their ability to continue to tread water mm-hmm. and you know they're starting to they're starting to go under now and i'm assuming that what you mean by that is the the below zero is when they hit that wall where they're like i can't I, not another minute not another second i cannot do this yeah. and then somehow some way they tap into something mm-hmm. and then they 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 kick into a gear that was unavailable to them prior to that talk to me about how one does that where does it come from is it just your drive where you just kick in like you know because i could go into the water and i can say using my example i can say you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here forever and i'm gonna do this but there's going to be a point where even the best of intentions that i had getting in there it's just not gonna like it's gotta come from somewhere else where is that other place? Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, what a what a beautiful question and and a complex one because I think it 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 it's it's different for every person. You know where where do you where do you dig from? You know when when it's time to dig and it feels like you have nothing left and and you know the answer for a guy going through SEAL training might be different than the answer for, uh, from someone going through chemotherapy or from someone going through a really rough loss or divorce or whatever you name the you name the, the life event uh, but this is what fascinates me about attributes because uh, you know I wanted to really try to figure out what it was that that people at least in my environment had that could, and take that down to the atomic level so that it then could be related to everybody else now, I, you know because when you start talking about the attributes of grit, which are courage, adaptability, perseverance and resilience, um, those are the same attributes that the cancer, the person fighting cancer uses, or the person gr- grinding it out through a, a tough program or, or situation in life. Same stuff, right? So I think those elemental things are what we dig into. And then I think that, that it, it has to do with purpose, right? There's, there's going to be a why as to why do I need to prevail? Now, the easy answer is survival, okay? If you're treading water and, um, and you feel like you're at zero and you feel like you got nothing left um and you re- and you recognize that you're going to be in the water for a longer time you're 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 going to dig down you know, survival becomes the reason why you keep going but if you take that up a little bit of a notch you know the why could be well i, I I want to be a Navy SEAL. I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop me here. And, and that might be the, the clarity. Um, the, the the why might be the person who's fighting cancer. I will, you know, well, that's survival, but, you know, I, I want to make something better. I want to do something more. And so I think purpose has to do, you know, if you threw the example, Rob, would, if you and I went to the pool and I said, okay, Rob, tread water, and I'm going to, I'm going to make you tread water until you have nothing left, you know, and that might be hours or days. Right. And then once you're like, I, I, I just got nothing left. I said, no, oh, keep going. Right. Well, at that point, you're going to be asking yourself, "Why am I doing this?" <laughs> you know, and right. um, and if the answer isn't sufficient, you're going to stop doing it. And I think I think for guys who don't make it through that training, sometimes that answer is not sufficient. And and some guys some guys quit training and very honestly afterwards say, "Yeah, listen, I went through it and I decided this is not for me." And they're very comfortable with that decision. Now, not everybody's comfortable with the decision, but there's a lot of guys who quit and they're very comfortable with the decision because, like, hey. I, I went there, I tried it. This is not for me. I am now firm in that decision. And that's perfectly okay, <laughs> you know? I mean, because that's that's what that's what the, the the program's trying to accomplish.
0: You know, it's interesting because, you know, I was joking when we first started and, you know, like I'm so clear about my why not wanting to do this that I didn't even have to waste anybody's time. Right. But when somebody is looking at the vision of being able to say, I'm a Navy SEAL. Without a strong enough why, you will go underwater and you're not yeah. going to tread because that why isn't there. I love that. And yeah. I, um, I'm assuming that that is uh, one of the reasons why you have a partnership with Simon Sinek um, yeah. who wrote a little book called why, right? Yeah. So your yeah. your I see the, I, now I see the marriage, your book attributes and why work perfectly together with, you know, his philosophy.
1: Well, it's also because it, it explains human behavior, right? It's all about, you know, really what causes us to do what we do and purpose is part of that and attributes are part of that and I think the uh this idea that um you know and in the SEAL case just to to add one more thing to this so many people go to SEAL training and and you know when I was in when I went through SEAL training very few people knew what Navy SEALs were it was very it was very bizarre for us to go from not being known to suddenly the most famous military unit on the planet right but but People, um, a lot of people, a lot of guys, especially today, come in with this preconceived notion of what being a Navy SEAL is going to be like. And it, and it usually surrounds, it's surrounded by a bunch of cool things and a bunch of cool music. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I used to tell guys, hey, you got to realize when you're doing the job, there's no cool music playing in the background. It's often going to suck. Right. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be miserable a lot of times. Well, buds basically tells you that right off the fa- off the bat. I mean, seal training—you just you're thrown into misery right off the bat, and I think that's the first hit people say is like, "Oh, wait a second, this is not what I thought it would be," uh, because oftentimes people go in with a, a preconceived notion. Buds is the initial screening out process, is that right? That's correct. Basic underwater demolition slash seal training, where where sailors go and go through the six month course, and after which graduate and say, "Okay, now you are a Navy SEAL," and that's uh, the attrition rate's about. 89% something like that between 85 and 89%. So
0: it's almost, it's almost everybody doesn't make it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, odds aren't good.
0: The, the odds, <laughs> the odds are not good. Um, okay. So when Osama bin Laden got captured and killed, was that a seal team that did that? It,
1: it was, and you know, we can't go into detail. I mean, it, it's out there. I can't talk about in detail about what, you know, which teams did what, uh, but yeah. yeah, those were Navy seals. Yes.
0: Okay. So when you think about that sort of thing, and we can keep that generic so you don't get in any trouble. Last thing I need is a Navy SEAL knocking my door down, forgetting for forgetting for forgetting for out of you what I shouldn't get out of you. Would you have wanted to be on a mission like that? Would that have excited you, you know, in quotes, to be able to do something like that? In other words, do you look at do you look at something like that and say this kind of thing is the pinnacle? This is what I'm here for. I'm serving my country. I'm doing something that is amazing. You know, in terms of all of the uh, the damage that we've suffered at his hands, et cetera.
1: Is that is that the pinnacle for you, or would it have been? It's such a what a great question. Uh, the here is, so this is the difference. I I believe. I mean, the easy answer is yes, but but it's not as it's not as simple as that because the difference between the true warriors and the and the and the people who aren't, right? Are the people who look at the profession as a profession and 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 consider themselves surgeons, right? That was a mission, that was a job to do. One of many. And 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 knowing details about that mission, which kind of the world does too, but but being able to understand details about that mission and compare it to hundreds of different missions we all did. Um, that was on the on the difficulty scale out of out of 1 to 10 being 10 being most difficult that was about a 3 or 4 you know what why, why so low because it was because it was pretty straightforward it's like you're flying there you're going in you're getting the guy and you're coming back out right now there's certainly certainly political ramifications but that's from the I mean there's there have been and I've been on some very gnarly difficult ops that were like level 8 right so but again i think the 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 truest warriors, and I would count uh, among those ranks, many of the Navy SEALs I work I worked with and know, are the ones who look at every mission as the job to do in the moment. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to do the best I can here. Because, again, it doesn't matter if you're on a high-stakes high, high stakes mission or a high-vis uh, high mission, at least later, like that one, or just one that you're doing another night in Iraq, right? You, there's still the risk of death there's still the risk of, of not coming back. Um, and so you have to approach everything with a surgical professional viewpoint um, and understand that, hey, I'm here to do the very best I can on this mission, in this moment, whatever it might be, whatever whoever we might be after, um, because that's the job in the moment. And I think that's, you know, again, we would say, hey, um, would a surgeon Feel differently when they're operating on someone like I don't know Tom Hanks versus the the plumber who just came in and and needs the same surgery. And the top surgeons were like, "No, there's no difference. It's a human being, and I have to do my job the same way I do for this person as I do for this person." Same thing with with the military profession for those who do it correctly. You in your life right now,
0: your you know your baseline for pushing the edge or creating you know the 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 kind of life that you had when you were active in SEALs you were focused and driven and wanting to be the best as you're aging and your priorities are changing for you is do you look at that time in your life now as that was then it was amazing but I'm in a different headspace now in my life. I'm shifting more into business. I'm shifting into consulting and I've translated some of the principles. It's part of who I am, but that piece of me, um, I left at that time in my career. Talk to me about that a little bit for you.
1: Yeah, 100%. And and it's not, but it's more, I think it's more because I'm of the belief that we have to continually seek out our new edges and push ourselves and that often means shifting contexts altogether, you know. Um, and in this case, maybe maybe jumping off one peak into the valley so that you can start climbing the next. Um, now, there's certainly a, there's certainly an aging out process that goes on in the in the in the seal teams, right? But it's also why I don't I don't. Call myself a Navy SEAL, and when people, oftentimes, when people introduce me as a Navy SEAL, I, I try to correct them. It's like, no, I'm a former Navy SEAL. I don't do the job anymore. The the guys out there right now, they're the ones doing the job. They deserve the credit of being a Navy SEAL. Now, certainly, I take great pride in having done it, and and it's in a position of honor on my mantle. Um, but it's on my mantle nonetheless. It's something that I can i want to I want to be able to look and draw my lessons from, and then explore explore a new frontier because i think i think we i think we only begin dying when we stop growing and uh, and our, and human growth is dependent on us continually continuing to find and explore our potential by stepping out to those edges those new horizons uh, that we may have not uh, had a chance to uh, explore before
0: do you find yourself intentionally looking for things that are difficult and things that are challenging in your life? In other words, if, you know, if it's easy for you, um, it's just not as exciting and you're looking Mm. for, you're looking for the challenge. Has that become part of who you are moving forward?
1: Yeah, I would, I wouldn't say I necessarily look for stuff, but what I do is I'll set audacious goals with the, with the understanding that things are going to be challenging. And I certainly, um, take pride in, in tackling those things. Now, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I like, I, I don't like hikes and I talk about them in the book. So that means, and I've never bungee jumped. Okay. I have no interest in going and bungee jumping. That would be a, an edge. I have no interest in exploring. So I would Mm -hmm. say I look for those things that are congruent with my goals and, and do not shy away. In fact, expect that there'll be difficulty, um, in, in achieving those. And I like that fact, you know, but, um, but no, I'm not a, if, if something happens to be easy once in a while, I, I, I'm usually, I usually grateful for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, okay. Good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But they, but they, but I know that you know in in any long term goal ease uh, if it's too easy for too long something's wrong you know and you're not you're not challenging yourself but that's that's not going to happen if you set audacious goals it's just not you know life doesn't work that way
0: so. yeah I love that you uh, you've done fourteen uh, overseas deployments to places like Iraq and Afghanistan and we talked about you know, the, uh, the mission, uh, with Osama bin Laden, let's say, you know, on a level of difficulty, a three, and I know what you, I know what you mean by that, uh, because it was super clear for you. When you think about those level eights or nines personally, when you were involved in, in those, um, is there anything that you're able to share? Or if not, can you be general enough to tell me what, sort of stood out for you and maybe what you learned from it.
1: That made it difficult?
0: Yeah. So in other words, if you're like, if you're looking back mentally in your career and you're saying, you know, scale of one to 10, you know, what was an eight, nine or 10 for me that it was just, it was difficult. It was, it was scary. I I didn't know how were we going to pull it off. And here's
1: what I learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of factors in that. I mean, loss, loss of life, uh, on any on any count makes a mission very difficult. Um uh, so that's but that's and no one you know everybody that's an easy answer, right? Um one of the one of the biggest things is environment, right? Um, and terrain. Afghanistan missions were always harder than Iraq missions, uh, because the the terrain in Afghanistan is just I mean, awful. I mean, it's some of the most beautiful countryside you've seen on the, you could you could ever see on the planet. Right. But you're talking about 10,000 foot peaks and and you know, altitudes and 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 uh, just environmental condi- conditions that make those types of missions much tougher. Um, you know, I think uh, I think any time things didn't go now, now nothing ever goes 100 according to plan but anytime things just went haywire in terms of the plan that makes it difficult and i think you come away so so, so the interesting thing about that the the seal culture and any high performing culture is the is the ability to kind of constantly after action uh ourselves and 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 assess and so and so we'd have i mean you'd have these missions and uh, anything you did afterwards you'd you'd immediately do what was called a critical event debrief, right? And you'd ask three questions, what went right, what went wrong? And if we could do something differently, what would it be? And that was automatic. And, and those three questions, that environment allows all of the shit to get laid on the table right away, sort it out and say, okay, next time we're going to. And so, uh, and so the, the, the lessons learned process was almost unconscious in some ways, because we were just, it was so ingrained. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you always hoped for missions to go as planned. You always hoped. I think missions—that might be one case where you always kind of hoped missions would go easier, vice harder, because <laughs> hard yeah. meant bad. And, you know, hard usually meant bad things were happening. But you always recognized that uh, based on what you learned, you'd get together the best plan that you could. Uh, you'd you'd pre-think through as many contingencies that you could without getting overboard. You know, which means you know, let's think through three, four, or five different things, different ways this could go. But then you have the, the supreme confidence in yourself and your team that um, if anything goes outside that, you'll handle it on the fly. And that's, and that's really what, what the whole system feels like most of the time.
0: On the flip side, I'm sure not everything was difficult. And I'm sure that even in Afghanistan and even in Iraq, you had a good time. Was there anything that stands out for you as great times? We always talk here about the crazy missions and the difficult times and the loss of life, but you're a human being, you know, who's been there, you know, uh, 14 times with guys that are, you know, all on board to do the same thing. Were there good times?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, and, and so, so I always say that I don't, people ask me if I miss the teams and I say, no, I don't miss the teams because to miss just that word implies a longing that you can go back, and i don't I, i'm I'm perfectly comfortable with where I am. I look back fondly on the teams and the the parts I look back fondly the most on are, are just the the camaraderie and and the like the laughing like the jokes I talk about humor in the book, but the and any high performing team has class clowns, right. The, the teams are like all class clowns. And I mean, we they, they, we began, and You learn this at buds. I mean, you learn how to laugh when things are miserable. But the times where that I can think of when we were laughing so hard we were in tears, and the environment around us was miserable, right? Or just you know, you're sitting around the a, a bonfire after after nap, an and you're just you just you know just visiting as a group, right? I mean, you're just you're just connecting. Those um, uh, those were always really really special times, you know, the great times, you know? And, um, and so, um, so yeah, I think, and, and I, I, but even when, even I can remember, even when times were like really kind of iffy, I mean, I remember being in, 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 on missions and I'd be looking around and I'd be like, man, we are really in kind of a, a beehive right now. I mean, of, of just, there's, there's potential for things to go really, really badly. in just in terms of where we where we are right now. But I, then I'd look around like the guys around me and I'd feel such supreme confidence and comfort, you know, not arrogance, confidence and comfort that, um, that we, I, I was just surrounded by some of the best people on the planet. And then we were just this kind of synergistic flock of birds that were, that we all just read off of each other in such great ways that it just, it was a very cool feeling. So yeah, a lot of good times and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm extremely, I always say I'm extremely grateful that it's over, but I'm extremely, extremely grateful that, that I was a part of it.
0: I bet. You know, in the pandemic that we're in right now, people are going through tough times, right? They're trying to figure out what the hell's going on in the world. When are we going to stop wearing masks? When are we going to be able to start, you know, traveling to other countries and blah, blah, blah. And I can even feel myself where so much of this is going on uh, on the subconscious level that when it first started to happen, I was like waking up at night, like almost in like a little bit of a panic, like feeling... Closed in, right? And when I think about someone who has seen what you've seen and have been has been a part of the kinds of things that you've been in, you can block things out consciously. You can mm-hmm. will your mind away from something if you want. But it's really tough to get out of the subconscious like that stuff is in there and it's just gonna it's gonna work its way out the way it works its way out how did you if you had this issue at all how did you reconcile all of the things that you saw and did and not have it really affect your mental health which it has with a lot of guys in the service
1: it has um, that is a it's a it it takes a very deliberate um, process uh, because yes, we are seals. Especially um, are master compartmentalizers, uh, and and it can be. It's very very valuable when you're when you need to get through the shit, you know. Um, but it can be very dangerous and um, and destructive if you don't unlock that door and 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 uh, and let some of that stuff out. So so I there were times where I would experience something, and you know in the moment there's no time to mourn. None because you have to you have to complete the mission. Right. So I always say that when you see movies of of someone losing their buddy in the middle of a gunfight and, and then the next five minutes is spent while this person's, you know, wailing over this, you know, it just doesn't happen, right? The immediacy is you you win the fight, right? Um, and so so those times where there was no time to mourn, oftentimes I would, once everything was done and you're, you're back in your, in your, uh, uh, your base and in your safe zone, whatever it is, and all the work's done and I'm by myself, I would deliberately mourn. You know, I, I would take the time to deliberate mourn. And I know guys, other guys who I talked to who would do the same. Uh, some guys didn't do that and some guys really, they, they hurt. You know, s- sense of loss is one of the biggest kind of traumatizing Things that that can go on in that in that profession, but one of the one of the reasons why I think a lot of military folks have trouble, especially after they leave the service, is because it's not as much there's trauma that they of things they did or things that they saw. It's because there's a sense of loss of the team, right? They're, they suddenly had this identity and being surrounded by all these people and this support network, and suddenly when you leave, you're on your own. I mean, it is really stark, you know, and that's people ask me sometimes what's, you know, what kind of courage does it take, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to transition, write a book or do, or do whatever your do what do whatever the next step is, you know, come out of the military and move. And, and, and one of the things I recognize is that, uh, that when you're on such a, such a close knit team, one of the things you ju- you just, you fear you realize you fear is being by yourself, right? Now I have to do it on my own. There's no support network. I mean, the military, you don't have to worry about a lot of things. You have medical, you have, you know, uniforms, you have a paycheck, all this stuff. Suddenly you're on your own, you know, and for a lot of people that can be very overwhelming. So there's a lot of transition services for the military folks, uh, tons of resources out there now, which is awesome because they're used to not be, uh, that help people make that transition and 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 make people feel supported <laughs> because they're used to being supported. So, uh, a deliberacy in understanding that when you lock up emotions, even if it's for a purpose, because you have to, you have to, you must, must at some point let those out uh, and and process them. And if you can't do it on your own, I definitely recommend someone go get help doing it. You know, in the terms of psychologist or whatever, someone or even even best friends or whatever, someone who can help you unlock those because that'll that'll over, that'll really make strides with your mental health.
0: Yeah. How about spiritually? In other words most of the things that you do as a seal is l- logical it's strategic it's planned but when you step into the world of the spiritual worlds there are things that are just unfolding the way that the way that they're unfolding have you as, as a result of being in the seals has has it changed how you view the spiritual side of yourself
1: The spiritual side is tough because that's, again, very subjective. Some people consider spiritual religious. Other people uh, consider spiritual something other than the physical in some way, shape or form, whatever that means. Um, I would say that um, in my case, you know. In my case, I you know I'm not I'm not necessarily a religious person. I you know I grew up Catholic, you know, and I did the whole you know Catholic school and all that stuff. And I and I and as I grew up, I kind of moved a little bit more away from from that. Um, and I think going to war and seeing. Being in that environment probably caused me to ask even more questions about the whole religious aspect of spirituality. And again, I have no judgment; it's me just asking questions. And so, for me, spirituality has more been internally focused and introspective in terms of okay, what what am I learning about myself? And 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 in that learning process, how does that then allow me to operate and? and succeed and perform in these environments that sometimes are happening without my control. Right. Um, And so, and so no, yeah. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I, you know, from a spiritual aspect, I think I've probably remained fairly even in terms of that. It hasn't taught me. I, I, in other words, I didn't, I never experienced any epiphanies, uh uh, um, you know, that maybe some other guys had, uh, uh, so I've remained fairly even and really sought out to, and again, maybe it's because of my, my logical kind of, I, I tend to veer towards the logical uh, to, to, to try to put explanations about that, which I can't explain. Um, uh, which is again, why I'm so interested in human before uh, human uh, behavior, like, well, like, why do I behave the way I do? And therefore, why does other people, why do other people behave the way they do? So yeah, right. kind of a, Rounded answer there, but that's probably the best I can do with that one.
0: No, it's good because you're you're really the the spiritual side of what you're doing in some strange way with the book that you wrote. The attributes of the twenty five hidden drivers of optimal performance, you know, it, it could almost be argued that that you know s- sort of like spiritually came through you because you're you're taking all of the strategy and logic that you've learned and you're explaining it. So there's also something that. I'm, I'm unclear on, and that was the SpecOps training program called Mind Gym. What was that? What was that?
1: Yeah. Mind Gym was just a it was just another facet of what I was responsible for when I was in this training officer position where we were really um, you know, we were at it was 2010-ish, right? So we were kind of in the meat of the war. We'd been been at it for almost 10 years. So we had a bunch of folks who had gone to combat been through it and some guys who are starting to retire and, and leave and we were we were asking the question hey can we do better in terms of our mental resilience and taking and mental health really uh but really also can we can we develop working relationships with our brain so that we perform better mentally as well because ultimately you know physically we were pretty good I mean guys were in shape they were doing the job I mean you know so in the gym everybody was fine but we all kind of figured that the next frontier of performance was going to be a mental, uh, mental one. So could we start to explore aspects of what was out there, you know, in the in the science and the new, uh, you know, as new as we could get in terms of understanding our own brains a little bit better, understanding our relationships to our nervous system and our physiology just through through accessing thoughts and emotions and uh, and playing around in that space. And that's really what it was initially, because we were just throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and seeing what happened. So, you know, you now we got these uh, isolation pods, which are float tanks, you know, um, and found, Hey, guys were, guys were doing that and sleeping better. You know, some guys were able to visualize in there, you know, and, 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 incre- and, and they, they found that that helped their performance. We were doing mental acuity drills. We were doing HRV breathing and breathing techniques that allowed us to kind of shift our physiology from sympathetic to parasympathetic and, and get into a little bit more uh, physiological micro recovery um, and perform a little bit better. Uh, but the problem, the, the problem with any type of endeavor like that is mental performance is very, very difficult to quantify and codify like with data, <laughs> you know, yeah. really easy in the physical world because you can see if someone's broken physically, you can see how well they're walking or running or throwing a ball, and then you rehab them, and they fix. And then you can see how much they've improved. Right? That's a very easy thing to quantify. A lot more difficult uh, when it comes to mental health and mental performance to both get a baseline and then and then see how one's improved. So, so that's a that's a project that's still ongoing. I'm not sure where they are in the in the at least in the in the teams, but it certainly is the is a flavor for society. There's a lot of stuff around mental health nowadays for everybody, which is cool.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, and there's a lot of things like we talked about um, at the beginning with <clears throat> things like wearables, with uh, the Whoop. There's a company called Levels that does continuous glucose monitoring. Mm-hmm. You know, so now we've got data that you know, you and I wake up in the morning, we open our Whoop app, and it tells us. You're recovered. You're not recovered. You're you're in the the yellow, the red, the green. How much how much sleep you got last <laughs> night? How much of it was in deep sleep? You know, etc. So we can we can quantify all of those things. You're right, but the uh, but but the mental. I, I don't have a whoop yet that tells me how my mind is doing. So we got to no. we we no. got to figure that out. So why did you write um, the book Attributes?
1: Um, because I, I am vastly interested in what I would call the elemental human. In other words, you know, there's always we always hear the saying, you know, it's you know, it's when we're in the times of deep challenge and stress where the real us shows up, and and perhaps it's probably because of the experiences I went through with SEAL training and combat, all that stuff, I was thrown into, and it's just an environment where the real us was all the time. I mean, everything we did was about the real us, and so, and so I I, I wanted to dive into what are those innate qualities that, in essence. Describe us. You know, we are um, as humans, all the same. Okay, but we're like cars. Okay, some of us are jeeps, some of us are Ferraris, and some of us are SUVs. And and there's no judgment because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do, and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do. Um, but it would behoove us if we want to understand our own performance and our own behavior to lift the hood on ourselves and figure out what engine we are, because we may be a Jeep trying to run on a Ferrari track, or a Ferrari trying to run on a Jeep track. And again, there's nothing wrong with that either. That might be your choice, but it would better explain. The, the the challenges you might be having doing that. Or might you might say, hey, I should, I'm a cheap, I should be running on a cheap truck. I'd be much happier that way. And I think these, these attributes are one one of the first ways someone can begin to decode their own performance, their behavior, and understand why and how they show up to situations better, which will then allow them to A, understand their, their gaps or the deficiencies, and then choose if they do or do not want to. Work on that because it's not—it's your choice. You don't have to—you don't have to be more adaptable. But if you want to work on your adaptability, that's cool. Um, but then also, if you were interested in increasing and 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 doing better performance-wise, now you know uh, a little bit more about what things. What are the, what are some of those tools and hacks that can work on you on your specific system? You know, because there's tons of you know, there's thousands of cool techniques on how to increase performance here, how to peak here, how to do that. But there's almost too many, and one that one that works on one person isn't going to necessarily work on another person. Well, it's be like because it'd be like, yeah, I'm going to put a nitrous oxide thing on my Jeep engine, right? (laughs) So it's not going to work. It might blow the engine. So so understanding your engine, understanding your 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 um, your uh, your set of attributes will help you do that. And so the book was written, and you know, it was written very specifically so that when you read it, it's about the reader. It's not about Navy SEALs. It's not about super athletes. It's not about any of that stuff. Certainly, there's some stories to kind of help pinpoint some ideas. But when you read the book, the book is about you. And, and you'll find when you read it that you're thinking about yourself and thinking about, okay, how do I, based on this, how does that show up for me? And that's really what I wanted to do. and and I'm getting and the feedback I'm getting is that that most people who read it are are feeling that, which is cool.
0: yeah, you know what's interesting is I love the individual approach that you have. Like, for example, I mentioned the glucose monitoring thing a moment ago. There are certain people that will wear this glucose monitor thing and they will have you know a salad with nuts, and it will spike their glucose like crazy. Other people have the exact same salad with nuts glucose has no effect. We are not, we're not robots. We are all different. We react differently. And we're, we're, you know, we're trying to duplicate hacks and strategies that May not be duplicatable if you're a, if you're a Jeep and and the other one's a Ferrari. You have different. You're wired differently. That's what I love about uh, your book. Okay, so we're gonna link all of this up in the show notes. And as we uh, as we wrap up here, I'm gonna ask you some questions that are gonna fall into the weird uh, weird question category. Why is he asking me these questions? Just roll with it. Um, what do people often get wrong about you?
1: If they if they come in to meeting me, knowing I'm a Navy seal, they usually come in, come in with some probably preconceived notions that I'm, uh, kind of rough and, and mean and, and grumpy, which i I can be grumpy sometimes, but I'm actually not. I'm, I'm, I try to be empathetic. I try to be a nice person. So, um, so I'm, I'm actually more of a softie than people think.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you got that, you got that, you got that badass Navy SEAL identity that uh, travels with you. I mean, you know, I would, I would lead at a party with that um, when you want to, but, uh, but, but also when you don't want to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. Cause it's a double-edged, a double-edged sword. I'm sure. Uh, what new behavior or habits has most improved your life?
1: It was when I, it was when I, it was back in the high school days when I recognized and learned the power of the proper questions. Uh, You know, uh, our brains are wired to answer questions. Okay. That's how our brains figure out the world. Because as humans, we want to be certain of things. So we ask questions about it, oftentimes unconsciously. If we, however, lodge a question into our conscious mind, our brain immediately begins to come up with answers. And I do this experiment with people all the time. I say, okay, answer this question. How would you double your income in the next six months? Okay, you have 30 seconds. Write down everything that pops into your head. doesn't matter how crazy, just do it. Give them 30 seconds, okay? Usually they come up with five or six things. Okay, Some some are ridiculous, but, but the point is not the answers. The point is that as soon as you lodge that question, your brain began to answer it. The problem is most of us do this the wrong way. We ask ourselves things like, why am I so bad at this? Why does this happen to me? You know, why are these people out to get me? As soon as you lodge those questions in your brain, your brain begins to come up with answers to those questions. And I guarantee you, they're not empowering. You know, they're going to make you feel miserable. I learned at a young age that high performers ask better questions. They take charge, conscious charge of that, of that process and say things like, how can I grow from this? Um, what are, th- what are th- those things that I'm strong at? You know, who's out there who can help me? As soon as you ask those questions you get better answers and they're empowering answers and so i'm a big believer that our the quality of our lives is directly proportional to the quality of questions we consistently ask ourselves and that's a habit i've tried to adopt since since a young since my younger years
0: it's a great habit it's a challenge because we want to sometimes we're in a, like a little bit of a pity party with ourselves and so yeah. you know we'll go through oh this never works out why am i why am i uh why am I always fat? Not, not a good question. Because <laughs> no, you'll get some answers. <laughs> well, because you don't do shit. That's why. eat yeah, you, you, right, Chocolate yeah. cake. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? Somebody would look at it and go, "That's weird." He loves that. Is there anything that falls into that category that somebody would think that <laughs>
1: you're is weird? Yeah, I would, my my family teases about me about this. I, for some reason, dentistry fascinates me. <laughs> there I you go, that's what I, I was actually, looking for. <laughs> yeah, I think I could have been a dentist. I don't know why, I just think it fascinates me. The whole dentistry, and, and <laughs> I don't even like the idea of putting my hands in another person's mouth. I don't, but teeth, like they're really, I don't know, it's just weird. Isn't that so, funny? I, I, have yeah.
0: this, I have this weird fascination now with Hasidic Jews.
1: Oh. I don't know why.
0: I'm just, I'm, I'm watching them on YouTube and their culture is fascinating to me with yeah. the hats and the outfits and, 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 and how they sleep in separate beds. And it's just, I don't know where these things come from, but, but, uh, but I'm interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you could spend one month anywhere in the world,
1: where would it be and why? I'm going to go off world. I'd love to spend a month in space. Yeah. And my boys, for my boys, just they are fascinated with space. They both want to go to space. I'm like, hey, if you go to space, I'm going with you. I would love to see the earth from off the earth.
0: Yeah. I've done 300 episodes asking that question. You are the first one that took me <laughs> off the planet. Nice. Wow. That's fascinating. I think that there's a whole th- Uh, There's a, there's a whole, we could hire a therapist to figure out why, why you came up with that. That was good. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, so we'll do a a quick speed round and then we'll wrap up. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers?
1: Uh, Articulating concepts in a simple way. Do you collect anything or have you collected anything? Yeah, when I was a kid, for some reason, where we went to school, there was a chestnut tree, and we all started collecting these chestnuts that were falling on the ground. And I, I ended up with a drawer of like three or four hundred chestnuts in this drawer. And that was when I decided I didn't need to collect anything because I was like, "What the hell am I going to do with all these chestnuts?" And so, I don't, <laughs> so I've never collected anything since.
0: <laughs> you have another drawer with stamps. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? I, I wish they'd asked me this question. They never asked me this question. They asked me about Osama bin Laden. They asked me about jumping out of, you know, jumping into the ocean, but they never asked me this question.
1: Uh, Well, probably, what are you grateful for? That's a great question to ask anybody. Uh, It's a great question to ask yourself, by the way. If you don't have a question, if you have a better question to ask anytime, by the way, use that one. What am I grateful for?
0: That's a great one. I do that one every morning. What book have you reread the most?
1: All right. So, um... I, so I love the book sapiens by Harari, but that's my adult book. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, there was a series of books called the great brain series. Um, and I remember reading that when I was a when I was probably in third grade and, and there was like four, there was like six or seven books in the series. I must've read that whole series a dozen or more times, every book, like a dozen or more times um, about a, a kid growing up in the, in the late 1800s. Um, and it's called Great Brain, as in brain? Great Brain. His, his brother, this kid, the guy who wrote writes it, writes about his brother who was just really smart and used to generate ways to make money and swindle people. And yeah, I just loved it. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. Okay, last question. We'll change it up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What inspires you? What inspires me is people particularly entrepreneurs waking up to their life and that this is not a dress rehearsal. And the fact that they go all in on one area of their life is damaging to them. They are they are develop. it's kind of like the guy who goes to the gym and only does chest because he's, he's good at it or biceps, but he doesn't want to do his legs because it's hard for him. Mm-hmm. That's the way entrepreneurs are. They are good at making money. They're good at starting corporations. They're good at having employees, but their relationship is not great. Their Their body is not great. Their, their connection to the spiritual side is not great. And what inspires me is facilitating in any way that I could them having a different experience outside of business which is all these pictures that you see behind me i do events around the world where i take entrepreneurs and i do all kinds of stuff with them um we uh we were uh, before the pandemic we were truffle hunting with a dog in tuscany we uh before that we were uh in the batting cages at fenway park hitting balls before that, we were, we were doing a vintage car ride through the French Riviera. So uh, next, God willing, uh, in June, we're gonna be going to be uh, going to Mykonos, Greece. So I literally forced them out of their day-to-day to get them away from the thing that they're addicted to and watching them unfold. When they're sipping a glass of champagne, looking out at the French Riviera and connecting with other entrepreneurs, and they're talking about life and how great it is, that's what they're working for. But yeah. they just, you know, they hit a goal, they want a million bucks, and then it becomes two million, and three million, and five million, and, and the bar just keeps moving. And then they have a heart attack and they're dead. And I want them yeah. to experience and see their life. That, that's, and that's what the show is about. And that's what the events that I do about, about courses that I uh, have, et cetera. So that's what lights me up. Awesome that's very inspiring. Well, dude, this was amazing. I will uh, link everything up in the show notes. um, Have everybody go out there and uh, grab your book. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: Uh, I would just say, check out the book, check out the assessment tool at the website, uh, theattributes.com, and figure out your own engine. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy the process of, of lifting your own hood and figuring it out, so.
0: Oh my God, that's gonna be the title of this show, Figure <laughs> Out Your Own Engine. That was
1: good, <laughs> that was good. Rich, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob, It was such a pleasure, so thanks for having me.
0: All right, thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game